It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. And hello, welcome everyone again to Counterculture. So glad you're tuning in on Faith Talk 1360. Also, if you're tuning on the podcast, we just love having you check us out on uh, Spotify or iTunes. And and uh, I guess it's Apple, not iTunes. iTunes is that sort of dinosaur from the 90s that Apple keeps around. But so thanks again. Thanks for listening to Counterculture. We love what God's been doing on the show. We highlight the people who are kind of going against culture uh, in the in the ways that Jesus asked us to, and uh, he asked us to be peacemakers. He asked us to care for the vulnerable, and he called us to be uh, a blessing to those that are around, and uh, not just a, a someone who condemns and divides, and someone who just lives for themselves. And so, we want to highlight that. And today, we have on the phone calling in from sunny, snowy. Is it snowy, Colorado? Yes. <laughs> I think that's both. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brian, thank you for call- thank you for joining our show today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, Brian is the it serves as co-founder and president of America's Kids Belong, which unites government, faith-based business and creative communities to end the foster care and adoption crisis in the US. And he does it st- on a state-by-state process and so Brian has written curriculum for national campaigns such as Bono's One Sabbath Campaign and World Vision's Faith in Action. Brian and his wife Julie have two adult daughters, have been foster parents for years, and currently have a young man who aged out of foster care as part of their home. Thank you again for joining us. This is a fantastic. I love hearing about America's Kids Belong. Brian and I have been friends. Well, we've known each other probably maybe five years, maybe, I guess. We're back yeah. in, We yeah. met in Colorado one uh, back in... Brian's an ugly guy, so uh, but so yeah. he's a uh, and um, he hasn't done well for himself, and we. But so I just thought I'd reach out to help him out a little bit. Thank you, thank you for your support and encouragement, John. <laughs> of course. So, <laughs> no, fa- Brian's fantastic. But he's a he's a great leader in the space, and uh, so before we kind of get into uh, a little bit about what his America's kids belong, we play a game called fake news. And so in mm-hmm. with fake news, we say something that's you, Brian, you need to say something that's true and not true about you. And I try to guess which one is fake. So give us okay. so go for it. This is fun. Okay. okay. Well, um, well, I was a missionary in Thailand for a few years and Interesting. as a side gig kind of a tent ministry. Okay. I would lead I would lead elephant tours for English speaking tourists. Okay, elephant leading tour uh, tour guy in Thailand. I like that. Okay, That's and right. what's the second one? Yep. Uh, during my college years in the summer times, I would lead wilderness trips in the Sierra Nevada mountains for at risk youth, kind of like a Christian outward bound kind of thing. Okay, so okay, now believe it or not, I think both of those are very plausible. So that's why it make that's yeah. why you're good at this. And I, yeah, I don't have yeah. eye contact with you, so I can't tell if you're lying to me because I'm really good at that too. <laughs> one, of, <laughs> so, one of them is a lie. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm going to say that the Thailand one is true, and so that the the outward bound is fake. You are absolutely wrong. Oh, <laughs> rats! 
So I did live in Thailand. Okay. But I was uh, I was one, two, and three years old. So they okay. wasn't old <laughs> enough yet to lead tours. <laughs> that would have been funny and tragic at the same time. <laughs> right. So yeah, What's I lived that? there uh, during the Vietnam conflict. My dad was in the Air Force. Oh. We were stationed in Bangkok. Interesting. So, but I I did actually lead wilderness trips in the Sierra Nevadas for at-risk youth and adults. It had a so, uh, like a group of homeless men from San Francisco. Uh, that was a, it. Was interesting. You know, so you've kept me humble today, and I appreciate that. The second <laughs> one just welcome. seems so like already in your wheelhouse that made tons of sense. That I thought. I guess I just in my heart really wanted to believe the Thailand story. <laughs> And so my heart led me astray. Yeah, Don't yeah. follow your heart, kids. Sorry, Don't do it. I did. Look what happened. So I'm now plunging to around 50% success rate on my fake news. And I think it's all God's master plan to keep me humble. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> so anyway. He's good at that. He's, yes, he is. It's a what better place to be, though. Um, so you're... America's Kids Belong is exists to end the foster care and adoption crisis in the U.S. What is this crisis for foster care in the U.S.? Yeah, uh, well, real simply, I can uh, explain it through a quick story. I um, was approached in 2007 by a child welfare worker, and in the county that where I was a pastor, and she met with me and said. Uh, Brian, I really just came here to tell you one thing. In the 28-year history of child welfare in this county, there's never been a single day where kids in foster care weren't waiting for families to take care of them. Never, not one day. 28 and years. Said, I, yeah. And, wow. and what we discovered was what was true in that county was true in virtually every county in the country, yes. that there was kids in care who were essentially being raised in institutions or being in mm-hmm. so, and there weren't as many families stepping up to say, we'll be there for you. Mm. That's the crisis. That is. And so there's just simply more. And I think what is, I've heard what, 400,000. Is that the national yeah. number? <clears throat> yeah. It bounces around. I mean, from if you take a snapshot of any one particular day, it's, it's, at this point, it's definitely north of 400,000, maybe closer to 440,000 kids yes. in the U.S. who are in foster care. Now, they fall into two primary buckets. Um, they're, uh, of the 440,000, there's about 100, 120,000 who are on a path towards adoption, mm-hmm. and uh, other kids are on a path towards reunification. Mm. So uh, reunification is always the first goal. And when that can't happen, the kids go in uh, to the adoption path. And so imagine, like, I, I imagine that the, in, coming from it as a pastor, you're thinking, how can the church step into this space? Yes. And, yeah. Uh, what, yeah, what was interesting is um, when this woman came to meet with me, she actually called me and asked if she, she could meet, and I said, sure, so... This lady named Cindy came a few days later to the church. We met in my lobby, in the lobby of the church. And the first thing she said to me after introducing herself was, thanks for meeting with me. I've been trying to meet with a church leader for three years. You're the first one to say yes. Oh, my goodness. And so, (laughs) um, yeah. So the church at that point had really been 
in our area absent. Mm-hmm. And um, and even to this day, even though more and more churches are becoming aware of it, there's there we're still have a long ways to go. Yeah. Wow. And I know many pastors are get in bubbles where they can they're either unreachable or especially if a, if a government caseworker or someone. <laughs> Maybe they don't know reaches out to them, and the idea that so what so is this what why you care so it goes back to this one conversation or is there other parts of your life that really prepared you for caring for foster children? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. It, it actually preceded that. I mean, that meeting definitely helped change the direction or focus, but it it happened beforehand and really began in my wife's heart. My my wife when she was a high schooler lived in Southern California and she had gone with her youth group to a, a mission trip in Mexico and they were uh, working on an orphanage down there. And, and at that moment, she really believed that God had spoken to her saying care for orphans. And um, she just took that as like, that's her purpose in life. And then uh, years later, you know, we met and got married and and basically kind of ruined her life because, uh, you know, here we were in the States raising two of our own girls and kind of had, you know, everything that the right. American dream was supposed to be about. Right. And she felt like she felt lost, she lost mm. her purpose in life. Mm. And, and she said, how am I supposed to feel my purpose living this, you know, kind of typical life in, in America and that's where uh, she asked a key question. She said, are there orphans in the United States? Mm. And that question uh, sent us down this path of exploring and discovering foster care. And when she, we, and when we were learning more about foster care, what we learned were like, why are kids in care? And discovered that, you know, in generally, you know, they're in care because of uh, extreme neglect or abuse mm-hmm. and their parents are, likely struggling with a severe addiction or there might be, you know, um, a criminal element they're in jail, right, prison, right. that kind of thing, prostitution. Sure. And a light bulb went off in my wife's head. She said she was as a young woman, single woman working on a, a different orphanage in Mexico. And she'd asked the child welfare, asked the executive director of that orphanage, how did all these kids' parents die? And he said, they're not dead. These kids are here uh, because of extreme neglect or abuse. Their mm. uh, parents are addicts or they're in jail. Uh, there's, you know, maybe the prostitution. And she said, these are the exact same kids. We just use different words to describe them here in the United States. So mm. yes. that really fueled her. And, and honestly, um, she said, hey, you know, you're married to me. Yes. Uh, I, I, I need you to support me in this. And she said, by the way, as a Christian— especially as a pastor, a leader, right. you need to pay attention to this issue because it's it's the center of God's heart. Yes, yes. It that And that's a great point. A lot, many people quote like James 127, which is a fantastic verse in this, but really you're talking about the actual heart of God. To, to, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, James 127 is, is just an illustration of um, the— the great commandment to love God and to love others. Yes. And, and it's, you know, it's specifically applied towards widows and orphans, but Mm -hmm. it's all through scripture. Yes. And that God's heart is for the especially vulnerable. And there's no more vulnerable people in the United States than kids who are in foster care. (laughs) 
That is so true. That is absolutely so true. The adoptive heart of God towards those children in foster care. And I mean, we've all been adopted as believers uh, into the, the yeah. family that we don't deserve to be belong in. And there yet, and that is that's we've lived that out. That's the gospel. <laughs> and yet, and then now you're showing this in your ministry. And so you started America's Kids Belong from that heart. Yes. So yeah, really, you know, people people want to know, you know, why why I pursued uh, orphan care or foster yeah. care. My reply is I I didn't I I pursued Jesus and He led me to kids who need families. Mm, mm-hmm. That's so true. I I do I think so, and I've I've just found a profound sensitivity to the leading of the Lord and His will around people when they and then they get caught up in just these exact same things. And so I thank you for sharing that. Um, if you're just tuning in, this is Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn. We have Brian Mavis, the founder and president of America's Kids Belong, co-founder, sorry about that, uh, president of America's Kids Belong, having a great conversation about the father heart of God. So um, America's Kids Belong has a way, has a method that I found really fascinating. Tell me how the how of con- making these connections between these kids and churches and, and – t- yes. Yeah, we really, uh, you know, want the whole community uh, to get involved, mm. knowing that, um, and the way to think about like the the whole uh, group of people is to imagine a uh, like a target, like you would an archery or something, with three rings. Yes. In the center, you know, so this comprises the three kinds of people. In the center is this group who are the heroes. Yeah. And the heroes are the kids. They're the uh, they're the kind of the wounded warriors who are surviving. Yes, and That's a good the example. next group out are the uh, healers, and these are the families that open up their hearts and homes to these kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next group out, the last group, are the helpers, and these mm. are the families who say, "Hey, we may not be in a place where we can open up our homes to these kids." but we want to be there to support you. And so there's hundreds of different ways that they can come around and support. So the, we do this in a way that we can get, we actually get in some cases the governor involved Mm -hmm. and uh, working with child welfare. We work with uh, churches and ask them to enter into this in a way that is a deep engagement uh, so that when things get hard, they get better. Mm. Uh, we ask business leaders to get involved in supporting those families. We ask the creative community to get involved in helping uh, tell the story of these kids and these families. And so we just try to create this huge movement uh, of uh, people who are wanting to be sincerely right. and authentically deeply engaged in this issue. And we uh, equip, especially the church, we really mm. count on the church uh, to um, find these people. We just need more and better families. Yes. If that number's ever going to go down, or even the idea that there actually could be more families waiting than there are kids, that would just be a fantastic goal. I know a number of um, organizations nationally around, around want to that there is, should be more than enough churches, yes. more than enough families to care for these kids. And yes. I love that. I love your model. Uh, I do have a, a hidden agenda that I, I really want you here in Arizona as well, and someday we could <laughs> figure out a way. But yeah. um, 
but you, I love the idea of that you put you make these videos because that really tells the story, right? Of this, it's not just an, an issue. It's a it's a it's a kid in my neighborhood or my my city who needs a home. Yes, yes, yeah. That um, that's really kind of how we started in Colorado. Is uh, when we started as foster parents becoming better aware of the need in Colorado. Uh, we were we were just shocked. We were like, "Gosh, we're foster parents, and we we were unaware of these 800 kids in Colorado who needed adopting." And so uh, we started volunteering our services to uh, tell these kids stories and photograph and write their story. But it was while we were doing that, especially some of the older kids or the sibling groups, just hearing what they were saying to us. Uh, we were just saying, we just thought, man, if people wow. could see what we see and hear what we hear, it'd be a game changer. So yes. we we got uh, the permission to start videoing kids who are legally free to be adopted to tell their own story. Mm. Under We were just convinced that the best advocates for these kids were the kids themselves. Yes. They just needed mm. some adults to give them a chance to share their story. Right. So we did that, and it was a game changer, especially for the older kids who people seem to be fearful of. And when they yeah. got to actually see these kids tell, share a little bit of their heart and what they wanted and some of their hopes and hurts, um, people realized, oh, these are just kind of normal kids who are just in a hard situation. And yes. a lot of people who never imagined adopting a child older than two years old were then saying, I can adopt a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old. Yes. So yeah. Um, so yeah, these are just real kids who are in extraordinary situations, and um, you know we do we do say it's it's still going to be difficult because these kids have some significant hurts in their lives. Right. But that's where we feel like people who are in the church can be equipped to help be part of their healing. And so you so you're not just giving information. To, about about these, you're you're getting the story to these to family, the potential to who could take these kids in, but you're also giving so, connection to resources and support to these families. Correct? We are. We have uh, trauma training materials mm-hmm. designed specifically for church leaders, mm. and then uh, there's more and more resources out there and other great organizations and helping uh, parents with equipping them and understanding how to parent. Uh, kids who've experienced trauma. And I think it's just a tremendous way uh, for Christians to learn how to be um, healers in a way that uh, I think reflects the heart of Christ and the way of Christ. So yeah, we uh, our our specialty when it comes on the trauma side of things Mm. is equipping churches and the church leadership to become trauma-informed. So... One of the things that I'm I'm I, I'm going to go off go off the rails a little bit here, but I just was so touched by your example of the the bullseye being. You mentioned he, healers, which I totally understand. Then helpers, all that. But the center, you didn't use the word. This is the kid who has a need. You use the word hero. So just yeah. just just say that. Why why is that that here that word hero so important for us to to know? Well. Yeah, thanks uh, for circling back on that. The, we 
discovered, I mean, and partly, I mean, it's my own personal experience and then seeing it told uh, over and over again was it, we were somehow it's getting conveyed that, that we were the heroes mm-hmm. and we didn't, we started not liking how that was coming off of, yeah. of having these adults come in and kind of with this, like wearing this cape on their back. Yes. And we're like, hey, no, 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 you're coming in with a cross on your yeah. back. Yeah. And um, and the kids need to be seen in a heroic way, not in a pathetic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they've overcome a lot just to even survive to this point. Yes. And so we want to take this idea that you're the hero, which I know is real popular. Yeah. We want to take that off of you. Right. Now, you do have another role that's profound. Yeah. That's the one of the healer. Yes. But we want you to see these kids in their full potential. That's real. Well, that itself is such a profound and really important, and I believe a really strong biblical mandate for us uh, that, that God uses the broken to to heal us. We, in a sense, we also find that not only are these kids have trauma, but we also need them to expose sometimes our own trauma and our own issues. Absolutely. 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 You know, that's, again, one of the uh, kind of things I keep, I don't, I don't broadcast, but here I am going to broadcast it with you is a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people are in this space are really compelled by getting kids into families appropriately. So, right. But honestly, kind of my number one compulsion Mm. is for the church to be the kind of church God wants the church to be. And I think, yes, Yes, do do the kids need the church? I think so, yes. It's also true that the church needs these kids. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, there's I have a, a mentor, and he says his favorite movie or favorite story is Les Mis. Yes. And I did ask him one. I said, why, why is that the case? Why is this your favorite story? He said, well, it's because people think it's a story about a big strong man who saves this little orphan girl. Yeah. And by the end of the story, you realize it's actually a story about a little orphan girl who saves a big strong man. Yes. And I just thought, man, that's the, that's the same thing for the church. Yes. So many churches who can enter into this space, they actually become transformed Mm. and they become a better kind of church because they entered into this space of uh, healing and helping these little heroes. Mm. And they, God transforms the church through them. He saves the church through them. Imagine, the imagine that instead of, well, let's, let's get a big discipleship program and do these, this, this sermon series. What if we just said, hey, let's just let's adopt 20 kids. <laughs> let's see what, that, what, see what God does in our church. Let's see what that will do. So, yeah. You right. know, I didn't hear this personally, but I have a friend who said that he was at a, this big church leader conference, and Andy Stanley was speaking, and he was yeah. lamenting a little bit about how People say, "Hey, your sermons aren't deep enough." And he said, "You want to get, you want to be a deep Christian, become a foster parent." Yeah, and right. so, uh, yeah. Ooh, I like that a lot. So, mm-hmm. uh, just wa- a quick, a short answer. I love, but I really want to know what, where do you find hope right now in in such a, a horrible year for so many? You know, uh, I I really do find hope in what. God is doing. I yeah. think God is, um, I think God is still, he's not, God's not quarantined. God yes. is on the move. 
he's transforming uh, the church. I think he's uh, what I've seen him do still throughout the years and this year mm-hmm. is uh, I've seen supernatural favor and connection. Yes. yes. And I think um, God is um, getting people to think about what can the future be instead of like reverting back to, hey, let's just get back to doing things the way we used to do them. Yeah, right. Uh, he's, he's helping the church say, how can we um, not be just the best church in the community, but how can we be the best church for the community? For the community. I love that. Brian, I, this has been a great conversation. How can uh, our listeners here uh, find more out mm-hmm. uh, about America's Kids Belong? Yeah, a couple of easy ways is just to look on our social media. You know, if they search for America's Kids Belong on Instagram or Facebook or something like that, and then our website is uh, America's Kids Belong or the shortened version, amkidsbelong.org, okay. Okay. not .com, and uh, they can learn more about it there. Thank you, Brian. What a great conversation. I appreciate you calling in, and uh, God bless you in the ministry that you're doing. This has been Jonathan Sanborn with Counterculture. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org. This program was sponsored by Care Portal.